everybody, and welcome to episode three of State of the Game, the golf podcast that won't improve your chipping, but does talk about the stuff that matters. I'm Rod Murray, and today is a show full of the stuff we love here at State of the Game, controversy. It all started last week at the USGA annual meeting, where Executive Director Mike Davis revealed that his organisation was taking a fresh look, quote-unquote, at the use of belly and long putters. He was backed up by the new president of the USGA, Glenn Nager, and that attracted a little bit of attention in certain golf circles, but it wasn't until last Tuesday that things really hotted up, because that's when the former world number one Tiger Woods weighed into the bait, asked his thoughts on the long wand, the 14-time major winner broke with tradition, and actually told the world what he thought, namely that he doesn't like them. We'll hear from all three of those protagonists in a moment, but first, let me welcome to today's today's panel, two of whom have been outspoken on this issue for a while, and one who probably feels a little bit like a lion trapped in a den of Christians. First of all, from the home of the game in Scotland, it's a big hello to internationally respected writer and analyst John Huggin. Huggy, good to have you aboard. Hi there, Rod. How are you? Yes, I'm uh, not going too badly. Good to have you with us and from closer to my part of the world, fresh off a week wandering the fairways of Royal Melbourne watching the Australian Women's Open, which should have him in a pretty good mood, is analyst, course designer and multiple tournament winner, Mike Clayton. Clayton's looking forward to your input today. Thanks, Rod. Nice to talk to you and see how we yeah, go. Always, yes, we'll see, we'll see, how, see we how we see how we go. Our final panellist making the case for the defence today is a long-time user of the long putter. He's the winner of the 1999 Australian Masters. I don't think any Australian golf fan has forgotten the six iron he hit to the 18th at Huntingdale that day. He's one of the nicest and given his presence here today, possibly bravest blokes in the game of golf. Craig Spence. Craig, are you feeling a little bit nervous? Okay, right. I am nervous and I'm worried they're not going to take that Masters off me, are they? <laughs> <laughs> don't think it's like the Olympics, mate. I don't think it's a Marion Jones sort of issue. So I think you should be uh, should be quite safe. I might take your t- uh, side today just for the purposes of balance, mate. Okay. Now, in a moment, we're going to have a listen to some of the audio from the people who make the rules. Um, but before that, I just want to have a quick play you guys a quick quick grab from Tiger Woods. This is what really kicked this debate off this week, and then I'm going to come to you, Clates, and find out why you agree with Tiger. Um, I've never been a fan of it. Uh, I believe it's the art of controlling the body and and club and swinging uh, the pendulum motion. I believe that's how it should be played. Um, I'm a traditionalist when it comes to that. Um, I I've talked to Peter about this, Peter Dawson, for a number of years and gone back and forth of how we could word it. Um, my, my idea was to have it so that the putter, <laughs> that the, the putter would be equal to or less than the shortest club in your bag. And I think that would be able to get away from any type of belly anchoring. Um, you can still anchor the putter like Bernard Langer did, you know, against the forearm. Uh, but still, that's still the art of swinging the club too at the same time. But I think you can get away from the the belly or the long putter by that type of wording, whether or not they they do it or not. And the Peters looked into it for a number of years trying to get it to work. Um, and do you actually measure everybody's sandwich and putter before you go out and play? Uh, that's another thing too. Well. Mike Clayton, I think you probably agree with pretty much everything that Tiger Woods said there. First things first, is that right? Have I got that right? You do agree with Tiger? Yeah, I used a long putter for six months. I actually won a tournament with it, but um, 
I think if you think the long putt is important, sorry, if you think the short putt is an important part of golf, they need to do something now because it'll go the way of metal spikes and wooden drivers and we'll have kids growing up with belly putters. It's an easier way to putt. It's a better way to putt probably. Hmm. So it, it depends if you think the short putt is an important part of the game. And of course, the problem with the game now is that every single equipment innovation that's come in, when you talk to the officials or the administrators whose responsibility it was to control it, they all say now, oh, we should have done it then, it's too late now. Well, it'll be too late in 10 years because most kids will be using a belly putter, I think. So unless you don't bother worry about the extinction of the short putter, you have to do something about it. So, so th- and, you know, you look at this, I think on Shackleford's site yesterday, he had some numbers of uh, Scotty Cameron's made, you know, gone from making a 1,000 belly putters to 10,000 in a year or something. I mean, some crazy number. So, you know, if you think the short putter is an important part of golf, you need to defend it because it'll be gone if they don't. And and then, of and, course, in five years' time, oh, it's too late now. We can't do anything now. Well, that's happened too often in the past. And if they want to repeat the mistakes of the ball and, and, and the big-headed driver, then just go right ahead and don't do anything now and it'll be gone. Do you think the short putter is an important part of the game? You said you've used a long I think putter. It is, yeah, it's I think it is. Because I think it's the, you know, I think controlling it, your nerves is the most difficult part of putting. And we saw at Royal Melbourne yesterday how difficult those greens are under pressure to putt. And, you know, anything that eliminates the, the, the skill and the nerve it takes to putt well is a bad thing, I think. And, you know, you read people saying, oh, the game's too hard. And I mean, this game's too hard rubbish is. You look at the, what those old guys play with hickory shafts and miserable balls, and they won't complain the game was too hard. I mean, you know, the, the game's never been easier, and people have never complained more about how hard it is. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's ironic, isn't it? What, what are the main points? What is it about the belly? Are you an anti broomstick as well as anti belly clates, or is it really the belly that upsets you? Well, I don't upset me that much, but, but I think the short part is important. I mean, the belly part at least looks like a normal part, somewhat. I mean, the long part looks. That's such a distortion of what putting is. Mm. And, you know, I think lots of amateur players especially, and, and some pros have shied away from using it because there's kind of a stigma to using it. It looks so odd, but no one has any compunction about using the belly putter because it actually looks like a normal putter. You can camouflage the thing mostly, and <laughs> half the time you don't know guys are using it because they actually look quite normal. Exactly. So, you know, I think the stigma of using a long putter goes when... Um, you know, using something that somewhat looks like a normal putter. I mean, you know, the way Spencey putted, and I, you know, I used it for six months, and Sat Torrance and Langer and all those guys. I mean, that's a, it's a bizarre looking way to putt to me. Hmm. But that thing that sticks under your chin, you know, it's kind of weird. But yeah. and that I don't think ever should have been allowed. But of course, not too many people did it, so they ne- they never bothered sort of jumping on it when Torrance and Senior first pulled it out 20 years ago. No one ever jumped. Oh well, no one uses it. it doesn't matter. Well, you know, the inevitability is that the best player in the world at some point is going to use a belly putter and kids are going to copy. And I mean, if Tiger used a belly putter right now, if Tiger picked up a belly putter and the way he's putting at Phil Beach this morning, he might have to tomorrow. <laughs> but um, that would be the death of the short putter. And that'll happen. I mean, you know, it was metal spike, you know, as soon as the tour changed to soft spikes, that was the end of the spot, which was a good thing. You know, yeah. so if, if you want to keep the important old parts of the game that have always been there intact. You've got to jump on this stuff, I think. Yeah. 
Uh, unlikely that Tiger will be using a belly putter tomorrow, Clates, <laughs> despite despite our bad sure lead putts today. I'm sure it is. Based, based on what he said. Craig Spence, you would have heard all of this stuff before and probably even worse uh, early on. When did you first start to use – you're a broomstick user or you have been a broomstick user. You won the 99 Masters, pretty sure, with the broomstick in the bag. Tell us a little bit about the reaction when you first started using it and your own feelings at that time about using the long putter. Yeah, right. I first picked up a long putter when I was in America um, in about 1997. Um, I was a very good ball striker when I first turned professional and a terrible putter. Like, um, yeah, I had some serious issues with my putting. So I was in a position of starting to already look for ways to cope with it, you know. So um, a driving path to pro shop in America, find this long putter in there, uh, have a bit of a putt on the fake green as you do in a, in a, um, a pro shop these days. And, um, and I liked it. So I took it back to Australia with me and I hid it under my bed for about three months. <laughs> I was too scared to bring it out. Um, I'd putt with it at night in my, uh, in my bedroom and even the people I lived with didn't know I had a long putter under my bed. So that gives you an idea of um, the fear I had of, of bringing it out. And when I did, yes, I got um, a couple of my mates, Mark Allen in particular, um, who's a local media uh, legend here in, in Melbourne now, um, he, he wouldn't talk to me for a while. Quite a few of my friends wouldn't talk to me. Um, Seriously wouldn't talk to you, Craig? Yeah, yeah, seriously, we're pretty upset by really? it. And at, back at that time, I mean, um, Clay, I remember Clayton's coming past the first time he saw it and he, sm- he gave it a good smack on the top of the club and nearly broke it. It was sticking out of the bag. Um, <laughs> but, he, he, you know, Clayton was never in a situation where he was angry with me, but he's like, what the hell are you doing with that in there? But, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty seriously frowned upon. And, um, you know, I, I say that, it was just a coping mechanism. It really was. It was, for me, a choice. Do I, do I want to play professional golf going forward? Yes, then I have to do something different. And back then, I hadn't seen claw grips and I hadn't, the belly wasn't invented yet and um, I hadn't seen any of these other styles that I might have tried first. And um, one thing that I want to bring to the discussion is that... Um, from our standpoint, it's not a deliberate attempt to cheat. It's just a it's it's an ability to stay in the game. It's so um, if anything, we love the game so much we can't bear the thought of not playing golf anymore. You know, so it's it's just such a desperation to stay in the game. We think what what can keep us out there? And um, at that time, it was just the the long putter. And now there's a, a million different ways to do it. There's um, all kinds of claw grips. There's um, claw grips and the belly putter. There's, you know, um, and, um, you know, I admire when I've, I've heard people talk about making people use their hands a certain way and making people use the putter a certain way. But I don't, if they do end up banning the long putter and the belly putter, I still want there to be enough leniency in the rules to allow people to find coping ways to putt. I think that's important. Um, what Chris DeMarco has been able to do with his revamping, his putting, going to the claw group, I think should be applauded, not frowned upon. Mm. 
back then, Craig, just to go right back, it sounds like you really were having an affair, quote unquote, with that putter. You were hiding it from all the people that you knew and trusted and liked and whatnot. And that's interesting in itself. What was your feeling about it at the time? How did you feel personally? Did you feel like maybe you were cheating? If you've gone from being a player who really struggles to get the ball in the hole and now suddenly you can compete, so you're getting the ball in the hole well enough to compete with your fellow professionals. What was your own feeling about it at the time and has that changed over time? I know you talked about traditional grips. It almost sounds to me like you'd prefer to see the short putter be the norm uh, now. Is that the case? Yeah, I always I always thought that it was um, it was probably against the, the rules of golf. Um, I always thought that anchoring it to your chest or your, to your, now, and now to your belly is definitely probably against um, the traditional aspects of the game. Um, I suppose at the time I just thought, what what other option do I have? It was almost a choice between do I walk away from the game or do I stick with this? Do I go with the long putter and stay in the game? That's sort of my felt like at the time my only my only chance. I tried I tried to work five hours a day with a short putter and it just got worse. And it it was seriously I think once you're gone mentally with a short putter, um, there's no coming back. So I must say those early days I was always kept the head down and probably felt a little bit um, sheepish about using a long putter and getting su- success out of it. But as the years went on, I felt less and less that way, and particularly the last few years, I've relatively felt like a normal human being again out there on the <laughs> golf course. Um, Even Adam Scott's in your corner these days. That must have helped. Yeah, well, I particularly when the when the belly putters came out. I mean, when I first putted with a long putter in America, I reckon I would go weeks on end where I might only see one other guy or two other guys on tour. Particularly in America, um, for for a country that's probably more um, more cutting edge in terms of um, breaking rules and, and getting getting breaking down the the, the, the problems of, of, of training but um, I felt like I'd go weeks and weeks over there and only see one or two other people and um, the last few years you'd go onto a green and you'd literally see 20 30 percent of the putters on the green would have some kind of a long or belly putter. Huggy, Craig's a nice bloke, he's a sensible bloke, he's admitted to feeling the shame of using the putter, but it was the only way he could do it. Why do you want to take his putter away from him? Well, I'm sure, you know, Craig's story sounds to me like it would be fairly typical back then, and and that was really the reason why those things were allowed. I mean, it, the, it was basically only the kind of sad, pathetic creatures who had no, no real option. <laughs> Nothing personal, Craig. No, nothing personal. Huggy, absolutely not. Huggy's just speaking his mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah to, was to go to the long putter or some version of that to to save their careers, and I'm sure that was a huge part of the USGA and the RNA's thinking was to they didn't want people to be walking away from the game. I mean, that's not that goes contrary to everything that they stand for. But uh, times are different now. I mean, as Mike pointed out, I mean the sales are booming. It's gone from being, uh, you know, the saviour, the the last the, the last resort, if you like, for people who just can't putt anymore, to being, oh, hang on a minute, this is actually the way to putt, which is a whole different philosophy on whether or not these things should be allowed. And I think that, to me, has been the driving force behind why the, the USGA and the RNA have announced that they're going to take a second look at these things. 
Yeah. It's funny you should say that, Huggy, and I'm going to play this clip now. It's a fairly long one, but this is Glenn Nager, who's the new USGA president. And this is what he had to say last week, part of what started this whole thing about why they might be uh, bringing this whole thing back up again. We'll just have a listen to this, and then we'll get some, get some thoughts on it after in a minute. Uh, on the topic of rules, and the, the belly putter came up, uh, there's a perception with some players that it's cheating. They'll say, I'll do it until they tell me I can't. From a rule writing and, and making perspective, does that is that probably what has reinitiated the, the, the discussions that you actually hear players make that comment that, that there's a perception that it's it's uh, wrong, but I'll I'll just do it anyway until I, they tell me no. Um, I can only speak for myself. Sure, sure. And, and I, the answer I would give you on that is no. Hmm. Um, that I think the, that that it's not that that's irrelevant, but that's not what's giving rise to the reexamination, because mm. um, that would be reactive rulemaking, uh, which I don't personally approve of. Mm. I, I think the reason why we need to and are taking a fresh look at it is because we have seen a materially significant statistical spike in playing habits, mm. right? Uh, we've been looking for several years at the evidence that we can get, uh, and the only evidence that we can actually get on this, unfortunately, is just at the elite level, on advantage versus disadvantage of measuring it in different ways, and that evidence is inconclusive. Some uh, couple, Two interesting points I think he raised there, Huggy. The one that you made about the uh, the spike that we've seen in the sales, which seems an interesting way. He said they don't want to be reactive rules makers but uh that would seem to suggest that in some ways that is a reaction rule but that other notion that he said and, and craig i think you probably alluded to it not quite as strongly players are saying and ernie ells is one who said you know i feel like i'm cheating but i'm going to keep doing it until they tell me i can't huggy just a couple of thoughts on those those two notions well you know as i pointed out earlier i mean i think i agree with them i think the 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 spike in sales is uh, is their most primary motivation behind uh you know, doing something about this because, as I say, it's gone from the, the last resort to being this is the way to putt, kids. You know, come along and try that. And as Mike fears, I share his fear that the the short putter will be no more in five years' time if this if nothing's done right now. Yeah. And uh, you know, the it's the bottom line is it's just it's just not a golf stroke. I mean, the, with the, especially with the the long putter, I interviewed Peter Thompson at the back end of last year when I was in Melbourne, and he had quite strong views on the subject, as you can imagine. His his point of view was that, uh, well, you don't see people, you know, walking onto the first tee with a driver and making, holding the club like they do with a long putter and try to hit the ball with the club, you know, anchored beneath their chin. So, therefore, when you do it on the putting green, it's just, it's not a golf stroke, as we would, as we would define it. So, therefore... I mean, I'm, I'm amazed it was allowed in the first place, but I can, I can understand why, because, uh, you know, I kept people playing golf. And there's certainly a good case to be made for, you know, this being the first step towards that dreaded word bifurcation that the RNA and the USGA seem to hate so much. I mean, there's a very strong case to be made for allowing amateurs to continue to use those things just if it keeps them playing golf. You don't want people walking away. But in the professional game, there's an equally strong case for saying this is not golf. We're playing proper golf, and those things are banned. Clates, would you go along with that? Is it just the fact that it it's not a proper golf stroke? It doesn't look right. I mean, I don't like the look of the, the belly putters and the long putters. As you say, they do look a bit odd. But if they're available to everybody, 
Um, what's the problem with allowing them in the game? I mean, everybody's free to putt with one. If Tiger thinks it's a better way to putt, why shouldn't he be free to just go out and, and grab a long putter and start using it? Well, he is at the moment. But well, I think that I just think the short putter is an important part of golf. I think if if you don't protect it, it'll be gone. And is that a good thing? You know, a good thing for the game or not? I don't think it is. I think you know, I mean, they murdered Sam Snead. He's you know, he started putting Croco style, and that was the end of him. He you know, that was six months, and they'd banned that. And yet, that looked no less conventional than a long putter. I don't think. And you know, that, they rightly jumped on that before anything happened but if they hadn't you know who's to say that the whole world wouldn't be putting croco style perhaps that perhaps that is a better way to putt but you know <laughs> if you look at dave pelsa's statistics it seems like you know statistically the best way to putt is with a belly putter indeed craig has your view sort of changed over the years i mean obviously you you're not the pariah that you used to be lots and lots of people using the long putter and some high profile players using the long putter and the belly putter, as that as it's become more acceptable, have you become more of a defender of the notion? What would you say to these two blokes about about being able to continue using long putter? Or would you? Or are you one who, like Ernie L says, I feel like it's cheating, but I'll keep doing it until they tell me I can't? No, I think for a long time I just decided, um, uh, I just went into my own little world and said, well, um, this is this is the way I'm going to putt because this is the only way I feel like I can putt. And I develop, I finally developed a confident putting action even though it was a long putter but as I've started to get out of the game now and started to teach the game and I've started to sort of settle my own mind as being able to sort of settle my own mind down and step away from the game in terms of competing which I think is it's very hard to make judgment calls on this when you're a competitor in the game Um, but now I definitely think that there is an issue with you know, anchoring a shaft to to the to the body. So over time, if anything, I've gone um, a step away from where I was and sort of said, well, yeah, there is an issue with anchoring a club to it. But I've also thought about how how, and you probably want to talk about this at some point throughout the the, the top uh, our topic today. But how they'll go about banning it. I've thought, you know, even if you do limit the length of a putter that it has to be a certain, it has to be shorter than your shortest club. Well, I guarantee guys will start making their shortest clubs quite long, long enough where they can still just anchor a putter against their body somehow. And um, if they don't do that, maybe they ban anchoring. That doesn't necessarily stop long putters in terms of the length of the shaft. We can still hang the putter away from our chest and use the putter in a similar style. Are we banning the way putters look or are we banning the effectiveness of them in terms of anchoring them to our body? I'm, I, I still think that from a competitor standpoint, there's plenty of ways to get around it. Are we at the end of the day telling people we want them to hold the putter this way and stand this way, and that's the only way you're allowed to putt? I, I, I really think there's going to be some confusion as where we go forward from here. Well. Well, that of course was the what you've outlined there is what is what Woods threw up. And I've, in in fairness to Huggy, I think he came up with the idea first because I heard you talk about that as an idea last year, Huggy, saying that it should be the shortest club in the bag. But Craig, you you make a really good point. How do you write the rule? It sounds like you have thought about it. Have you come up with an idea that you think might cover everything? I'm, I'm there's there's guys thinking about it that are much brighter than me, but I I have a little bit of a think about it from the competitor standpoint, and I think, you know, if you do decide to make it the shortest club in the bag, well, I've already messed around this weekend thinking about it. I can make my wedges quite a bit longer and just grip down on them if I have to. 
and then I make my putter the same length and I can still anchor it. Um, if they decide um, that the putter has to only be no longer than 34 or 35 inches, what, what happens then to the to the six foot ten guys um, or, or seven foot golfers, they can't use a putter that that's that short, or else they might break their back. Um, if they decide that anchoring's against the rules, that you cannot anchor a putter, you can still you can still vertically hang a putter away from your chest so it's not touching your chest, and still use it in a long putter fashion, and still allow yourself. It, it won't really. It still looks ugly, but it won't be actually effectively pushing against the body. Um, so I suppose what, what I'm saying is that I don't know how you possibly make it a perfect rule to stop people finding ways around it to compete. And, um, I hope they don't come up with, I, I'll throw it over to the guys there. I'm interested to see how can you make this a perfect rule for everyone? Well, I've, I've given you, this some yeah. thought, I must admit, and the, my rule would be there would be two parts to what I would, I would say is that only your hands could be touching the golf club. And the only part of your body that could touch the golf club, the putter, would be your hands, and that your hands must be touching each other. I think so no split that grips, Huggy. So no split grips. So Natalie Golbus would be out under your rule. Well, that would be too bad, but yeah, yeah. Wow, Clates, well, what do you think about that? Well, I suppose people would throw up Billy Casper. He kind of anchored the putter against his thigh. So, of course, Lang Langer did it against the forearm. Yeah, but I mean, you know, Casper putted with his hands up against. I mean, you know, is that anchoring it? What Billy Casper did? I mean, it's not, I mean, he putted traditionally, but he had his hands up against his thigh, and they never moved out of his. You know, they just stayed there, really. But, but yeah, I don't know. You make it the shortest putter in the bag seems the easiest way to do it, but. You know, I think people try and perhaps try and cover every scenario and make it more complicated than it is. And if someone wants to go out with a 40-inch wedge, then good luck to them. You know, the swing weight's <laughs> going to be hot. You know, the, the wedge play's not going to be very good. And plenty, you know, you, sure, you can go in the shaft, but, uh, you know, I don't want to play with a 40-inch wedge particularly. But, and how do you handle the Ray Floyd scenario? I mean, Floyd putter traditionally, but he had a 39-inch putter, I think. He had a big, long putter. Yeah. So, you know, he would be the first to say, well, you can't make that rule because how would I have putted? And yeah. you don't want to ban the way Ray Floyd putted because he putted perfectly conventionally. Just he, he stood upright and he had a 39 inch putter. So, uh, you, just... you know, so you couldn't force him to play with a 40 inch wedge just to accommodate his putting. You know, I mean, that would be the first thing he would say, and that would be a pretty good argument. So it's tricky. Obviously, it's tricky, yeah. but. Without doubt. I suppose the thing being, though, Craig, no matter what rule you make, you're really trying to make a rule for, at this stage, the minority, aren't you? Uh, as Clayton says, the fear is that golf will change the way it looks completely in the next decade and a half because everybody will use it. Certainly, it seems to me the belly putter in particular seems to be the one that the experts say is the best way to putt. And I suspect it's because you actually stick it in your belly and it really is a hinge. At least the, the long putter is somewhat, you know, you can still yip with the left hand even though it might be sitting against the chest, can't you? But the belly putter, if it's stuck into your belly, it does create a hinge, doesn't it? They've got a real problem if they want to try and get that out of the game, don't they? Craig. They do, they do, Rod. And um, I'm just interested by... John's idea that the hands have to be touching and, and that the hands can only be only part of the body that touch the, the club. And that's probably the scariest notion to me is that you take out, I understand people that are against anchoring a shaft to the body. I think that is against the, 
but but when you look at what Chris DeMarco and these people have been able to do and um, and revamp their putting by simply, you know, we, we to to make a mental improvement. Sometimes you have to make a physical improvement as well, and um, in the game and. I would hate to think we take away the possibility of someone putting that way if they happen to get the yips because we want the putter to look a specific way, you know. And, and um, I, I, that's the scariest notion to me is that we decide that you have to hold the putter this specific way and you have way. to stand on – well, everyone stands yeah. a different way, but we, we're making the putter look one – it's an image almost. We're saying this is the image putting has to be. Because that's the yeah. way it's always been. But I don't think that Chris DeMarco is cheating one bit, not even a spec. I think he's made an adjustment to make his, an ability for him to putt going forward. Yeah. I, I shared your view there with, about DeMarco, but it, I'm trying to picture the claw grip that he uses now. Do, do, are, are his hands not actually touching slightly? No. No, not at all. no, they're not. They're not touching. I don't think you'll find. I think you'll find that the right hand is is clawed a little bit of a gap between the hands. Mm. Uh, well, would it and, make much difference if he dis- if he closed that gap? I'm, I'm not sure. Plus, plus, what happens to the Lenny Watkins one-handed backhanded slap? <laughs> you, you know, you know, is that illegal? Because he's because he's because he's you know he's giving it. I mean, lots of I mean, most guys many times in their careers have whacked a tap in putt in one-handed. Is that illegal? Because the hands oh. aren't touching. Oh, Clates, you're a genius. I didn't even think about that. So, Why open that can yeah, of worms? So, I knew you so, didn't think of that. I've seen you do that a few times. I must so that meant, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, Watkins was the, you know, the one-handed boom. Yeah. cost you the Masters now, money, isn't it? But, um, gents, we've... We've got to let Craig go because he's uh, he's got somewhere to go. It's been very it's been really good of you to uh, to join us today, Craig. I've really enjoyed it. I just want to get one last thought from you before you go. What's your take on bifurcation? Can we say that this should be one rule for the pros and one rule for the amateurs? Get rid of the long putter in the professional game, but allow amateurs to use it. Or do you think it should be one set of rules for everybody? I think that there should be one set of rules for everybody. I think it becomes really difficult. We've got to remember there's a golf industry that needs to keep thriving. There's a millions and millions of jobs that around the, the world that rely on this. And I think, the, you know, the golf industry, you know, what the pros do, the amateurs want to do. And if you've changed the way they all use their equipment, it, it, I think it has to be one rule for everybody. If Clayton's mentioned the word simple before, if we start changing it, then we get much more complicated. I think it'd be simpler um, if we all play by the same rules. And at this stage, those rules allow the long putters. Craig, really appreciate you taking the time to walk into the den of lions today. That was very brave of you. It's been fabulous to have your input, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up again in the not-too-distant future. You go and enjoy your lessons, and I'm sure you're probably going to teach someone how to putt with a claw grip today. Thanks, John. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, great to have you on board. That was uh, Craig Spence, and yes, thank you to uh, a big thank you to him, gents. Uh, you you've made you got me thinking there, Clates. With you, you were talking about you know um, keeping things simple, and does the one handed uh, thing become a problem? Huggy, you and Woods both suggesting that same thing with the the putter being the same length. Do you introduce a problem there with the shortest club in the bag notion that you're going to have officials from the PGA Tour standing on the first team measuring golf clubs before players hit off? Do we want that? How do you police some of these things? Well, the police is itself. I mean, you make the rule and then people conform to it. I mean, the, the, you could argue that about any kind of rule, grooves and all sorts of things right now. I mean, you know, the, they're not policed by people standing on the first tee checking your wedge every time you go out to play in a tournament. So you just there's an element of trust, obviously, involved in these things.
Hmm. Clates, it's pretty obvious, isn't it, that no matter what you try to do about this, the rule makers are up against it in as much as it seems almost impossible to write the perfect rule. I guess that's the case with all the rules, though, isn't it? None of the rules are perfect, are they? And no. this one may be another one that's just not perfect. No, there is no perfect rule, but you've got to, I, Well, it, it comes back to whether uh, my first point, do you think the short putter is an important part of golf? And, you know, it, it'll be extinct. Well, it won't be extinct, but it won't be 50% of the people who play golf won't be using a short putter in, in 10 years, if you, 15 years, if you don't do something about it, I don't think. Because, and the thing with the long, long putter, the Torrance putter, the senior putter, is that it isn't a very good putter to use on long putts. I mean, I don't see that, mm. you know, it's it's better on short putts probably for guys who are yippy especially, but it's a difficult thing to use on long putts. And, it's, you know, the short putter is clearly a better putter for long putts. So, you know, it's the belly putter is the thing that's really uh, the cross between the two. You can putt short, longer putts with it more effectively, but, you know, so it doesn't have the disadvantage of the, the long putter and the long putt thing, which is difficult. But it's you know, you know it's better for the short putts, or, or certainly is good. So, so it's a perfect combination between the two, really. A long putt has always been a horrible thing to use on long, long putts. But have you mucked around with the belly putter clates? No, no, I, no, no. I've never had a putt with one. It's time you did. Well, it probably is. It looks tempting. It looks like it actually makes some sense. But yeah. and, Huggy, have you tried one? I haven't tried one. I mean, the uh, feedback seems to be that it, it makes it pretty straightforward. Yeah, well, I haven't tried a belly putt. I've tried a long one. And, and as Michael testified, one of the few things I can still do is putt. And if I ever get the yips, <laughs> I'm in real trouble because I was hopeless with a long putter. I mean, it's a completely foreign business to me I had no control over it whatsoever long or short well, or putt not only that Huggy but after the things you've written that are in print you wouldn't have the cheek to pull out a long putter would you you'd be kicked off every golf well, course in the world that's a fair point yes indeed so I want, to, I want you to have a listen to what Mike Davis had to say about this it's a little bit similar to Glenn Nagus some of Davis's comments on this but this is what he had to say this was the whole thing that kind of started at the, the taking a fresh look have a listen to this then we'll have a chat about what Mike Davis had to say well, Jim, I think it, we've been fairly public in saying, particularly in the third and fourth quarter of last year, that we, we're going to take a fresh look at this. Because, you know, since I guess it was 1989, the USGA issued a statement about long putters, about anchoring. And, you know, since 1989, nothing much has changed until we get to 2011. And if you look back at the, at the you know, the interest in it, it really never, never changed for that for over 20 years. Then all of a sudden, in 2011, um, I think everybody in the room and on the phone would, would, would agree that this has become a much um, bigger topic. So the RNA and the USGA have been uh, talking about this at length, and we're looking at it from the perspective that what we should look at in everything is what is good for the game for all golfers long term. And um, I will tell you, the RNA was in Far Hills last week. We, we have you know annual meetings where we get together to talk about all kinds of issues of how we govern the game jointly worldwide. So it's everything from amateur status to rules to handicapping, etc. And we did talk about um, various equipment issues, including anchoring. But I, what I would tell you at this point is that, and, and our board did this week as well, but it would be premature and certainly inappropriate at this point to, to say anything because there are no outcomes at this point. And, and the RNA has their committee meeting, I believe, 
sometime this month, um, but it, it is something that I will tell you we have taken a fresh look at because there are more players uh, in the game, both on the elite level and on the recreational level, using it. And I think we just want to be sure um, that we're looking at all the angles and, and thinking about what is in the best interest, both the traditions of the game, the history of the game, and, and what is what we think would be good for the game long term. So I can't give you anything right now other than the fact that it has been something that we haven't been ignoring it. Clates, do you get any sense, and we know you get around to a lot of golf clubs and you speak to a lot of golfers, I think within sort of your hardcore, uh, our sort of generation of golfers and, and those who are, it's quite confronting the notion of the belly putter and the long putter. My reading on a lot of the online golf forums and whatnot that I visit is that, in fact, amongst the, you know, the diaspora that makes up golfers, it's probably the majority just think, what's all the fuss about? Let me putt with whatever I want to putt with. And if that's the case, if the majority of so recreational players think that it's okay, should we not just let the belly putter and the long putter be a part of the game? Well, but, you know, again, it goes back to the, you know, what the game started out as and what it's evolved into. And is it better or worse for what it evolves into? And you got you look at Pebble Beach on TV and you've got ridiculous concrete footpaths all over it so people can drive golf carts around the golf course. I mean, someone thought that was a good idea at some point and, you know, someone thought it was a good idea to make a metal drive. Well, okay, that was sensible because persimmon was running out. But then someone figured out how to make it the size of a frying pan. And so, you know, the, the game is, I think, getting so far away from what it was. But people say, well, it's more fun, it's more playable, it's more, but, you know, the I've said it many times. The blokes I carry for in 970 loved playing golf and had a great time playing it with mm. little persimmon, you know, two woods and, you know, golf balls of 970. So, you know, you know and, and they all walked. They're old guys and they all walked. So, you know, is it, do we just keep going down the step of giving in to the people who think that we need to make it easier? We need to, we, you know, we need to keep these people in business. We need to, I mean, you know, the people in business. You know, everyone's worried about keeping the manufacturers in business and keeping the concrete makers in business to build the carts and keeping the golf cart people in business. Do, do the people in those businesses actually care about golf? They don't care about mm. golf. They care that's about the, making that, their business work. That's the problem. That's is, the they don't give a shit about golf. You know? That's the best point that's been made tonight. I mean, the game, to a very large extent, has been hijacked by money. Yeah. Yeah. All these people, they're in, this, they're in the business of golf to make money and they don't, as Mike just said, they don't really care about what is good and bad for the game itself. All they care about is making money, and that's the bottom line. And and and, and that's where the argument always comes down to. You can't, you know, you're going to ruin this industry. You're going to put us out of business. You go, well, you know, if the golf cart industry went out of business tomorrow, that'll be like the cigarette industry going out of business for me. That'll be the best thing that ever happened to the game. <laughs> and you know, clubs say, well, we can't survive without golf cart revenue. Well, great, go out of business, but. You know, it's just such a distortion of what the game was. And, okay, you know, we, we lost on golf carts. You lose on metal drivers. You lose on the golf ball. Do you just keep losing all the time? But And, and I think, you know, the reality is they don't care about golf. You know, the bloke who makes a golf cart doesn't care about golf. He's selling, you know, he's selling golf carts. Golf carts. You know, he, he's probably selling more golf carts in the mines of Western Australia than he is on golf courses in Australia. But they don't care about golf. 
Yeah. No, exactly. Well, and, and uh, although there there is something to be said that there is uh, there is an industry side to it. And, and Huggy, I'll, I'll take your point. And it's very easy for us to sit and say, you know, they the manufacturers they don't care about the game. I don't know that that's necessarily completely true. And I mean, you had a good sit down with Wally Yulheim a year or two ago. Now, I suspect he's a bloke that, despite the position he holds as the head of Titleist, does care about the game and is possibly concerned about some of the things that even his own company is involved in. Don't you think that would be the case at most of the golf companies? Most people who work in the golf industry get into it because they love golf, do they not? Yes, I mean, I I have absolutely no doubt at all that Wally Uline, the the individual called Wally Uline, loves golf and the game that that Mike and I have just been talking about. But the guy who's the head of Titleist, he's not paid to care about golf. He's paid to, you know, make money for the shareholders and and care about the bottom line of the company. He, whether that's good or bad for the game is neither here nor there as far as he's concerned. And, and it's for the and that's for yeah you know, and, and, and they have they have to, as the cigarette manufacturers do, about plain packaging. They've got to argue their case. That's fine for them to argue their case. But it's the RNA's job and the USJ's job to kick back against them, not just to give in every time and not say, well it's all too hard, we can't make a rule. So mm. there has to be some you know, and, and it's not fair to say they don't care about golf. Of course, most you know, many of them care about golf. But well, plus, there's a large set of the media. Them. You know, these the companies, unfortunately, they wield such financial clout with the yeah. with the magazines, especially not so That's much true. newspapers, but the stuff you read in, in in magazines across the across the globe on the subject of equipment and the ball and the drivers and all the rest of it. I mean, you, you cannot take it very much of it seriously. Because the magazines are, you know, they're dependent on the advertising that comes from the the manufacturers, so they're That's compromised it. completely. I mean, it took years for the, um, you know, the, the magazines to touch the the business of how far the ball was going and the size of the drivers and all the rest of it. I mean, and there was a simple reason for that. They, they the companies were basically bribing them with their advertising. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's right. They do rely on it, don't you? It's a, the whole problem with any niche media, isn't it, Huggy? Is that uh, at some point, you know, you you end up with two dis- distinct customer bases: the advertisers and the the readers. And it's not necessarily their interests are the same. I'll just say in closing, as yes, we must wrap it up. It's been fabulous to chat about this, Clates. You might take heart. One of the things that Glenn Nager said last week, and we played a little clip on the show about it. Uh, well, actually, we just read the quote about it. He said that the USGA is in great financial position that they have money in the bank, and he said specifically, in case we end up in some sort of litigation over regulatory changes that we might be thinking about making. And that's as close to fighting words as I think the but, USGA Yeah, the USGA should have to spend their hard-earned money on fighting manufacturers. I mean, sit no. in a room and figure it out. I mean, why do we want to give it all the lawyers? I mean, yeah. okay, if you have to, fine. If that's what the fight you have to have, but... It's just a waste of money that no one wins. And, you know, the USJ should be spending their money some other way. But if that's the way they've got to spend it, that's the way they've got to spend it. But As you, you say, know, the yeah, line in the a, sand, <laughs> if they've got to draw it, it sounds like they might have drawn it at least. This is the first time I've ever heard. Huggy, can you recall ever the RNA or the USGA saying, we've got the money, we're prepared to fight. If we change the rules and you don't like it and you want to go to court, we're, we're there? I don't think I've ever heard anything like that from them. No, they've always, you know, they've always gone completely the other way and, and denied that the they, they have any money at all put aside for that kind of thing because you know they they plead that they're always talking to the manufacturers we're you know we're always having friendly chats over cups of tea and biscuits and all the rest of it <laughs> but so this is a as you say this is a huge departure and I, and I hope mm. a good one 
Yeah, it certainly feels like there's some change swirling around, doesn't there? With Woods talking about it and them talking about it, all this attention on you know the belly putters, and you just get the feeling that maybe some uh, some other stuff might be around the corner. But yeah. that'll all be good fodder for future episodes. Mike Clayton, great to have you on board today. Thanks for taking some time to chat to us, mate. It's been fantastic. Just quickly, uh, Huggy, great six six way playoff at Royal Melbourne yesterday for the Australian <laughs> Women's <laughs> Open, won fantastic. by Jessica Corder, who was. It was a big deal because her father won the Australian Open here. So it was another great tournament at Royal Melbourne. It was it was a fantastic tournament. And uh, and w- once again, Clates, you were overlooked. And all the people she thanked afterwards, I don't think she thanked you for caddying in the practice round the previous Sunday, well, which is probably the key to the whole thing. Well, she actually did in the later party afterwards upstairs in the clubhouse. Ah. She was tremendous. But um, my, my part in her win was organising Simon Clark to caddy for it. And, and Simon did a great job. I mean, I mean, that's a complicated course for an 18-year-old kid to figure out without Absolutely. ever playing it. And yeah. she did an amazing job of, of getting around a very difficult golf course, mentally more than physically for her because she's such a long hitter. But um, it was a great tournament in the end. It was a lot of fun to watch a six-hole playoff and it was great for the TV, great for the tournament and, and great to see golf at Royal Melbourne. It, you know, it, it's such an interesting place to watch golf no matter who's playing it. So it was a... It was a tremendous week all round, really. What a treat the last couple of week, a couple of months have been, isn't it, Huggy? To have seen the Presidents Cup there, and I'm sure you watched some of the the women's golf at Royal Melbourne with equal interest. Just this past week, it's fabulous. Anytime you see Royal Melbourne, is fabulous, isn't it? Well, as you know, I've been I'm a huge fan. I've been coming down to your part of the world for quite a few no- number of years now, and finally the word seems to be getting out. As you say, the Royal Melbourne is uh, there is nowhere better to play golf in the world than at Royal Melbourne. Yeah, Clayton. So just quickly, I imagine Jessica Corder left that Sunday with a lot more knowledge or information about golf course architecture than she had in her previous eighteen years. What was your take on the players? I mean, I know amongst the men, there's a lot of blokes don't care about course design. Do you reckon she got Royal Melbourne? You would have spoken to her as you went around. I'm assuming pointing out where's good places to hit it and why and and whatnot. Do you reckon she sort of got a bit of that? It's an can be an important education, can't it, for a young player to understand some of this stuff? I think she got it. I mean, it was a bit of a worry that I mean. We're, we're... I shouldn't say this, but I will. We've um, got the design, the job to redesign Royal Canberra, start starting the week. Up. The the women's open is there next year because it's Canberra centenary. Mm-hmm. So so we start the redesign job up there the day after the tournament. And it was a bit of a worry that she. I really love Royal Canberra. It was fantastic. It was so tight off the tees, and of course you got to Royal <laughs> Melbourne where there's lots of space off the tees. And I think she maybe sort of thought oh, maybe there's a different way to play golf. But, you know, it was, um, it was interesting to watch her plot her way around. What, what I was worried about doing on Sunday was kind of pointing out all the difficult parts of the golf course. The only thing I said to her was, when the pin's left on the 6th west, don't ever go at it. Just don't ever hit at it. Ernie Hells made eight here from the middle of the fairway and almost lost the tournament. So she drove it down there perfectly yesterday, like 90 yards from the flag, and she hit a 20-feet right of the hole and two-putted it. And, and of course, Yanni Singh made seven or eight there yesterday. By by, ma- by making that mistake, so <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. So she played very smart golf, and she's a tremendous player. You know, for a kid, and it was it was a terrific tournament to watch. Really, you know, lots of fun. And she hits it longer than you, Clayton. She smashes it. Well, well, she, twice she hit drive right under the twelfth on the west course, par five. I mean, it was downwind a bit, but. She's got everything, Clayton. She's taller than you. She hits taller. it further she's, than you. She's better looking. She's, she's got, smarter. She's, she, she scores better. She does everything better. She does everything better. <laughs> she, but, everything um, better. <laughs> she can putt. She can putt. Well, like, she well, can well you putt. can't win at Royal Melbourne if you can't putt. No, that's, that's true. Right. That's, you can't win there if you can't putt. And you know, no. she made a tremendous putt in the playoff to win. So it was 
Yep. Fantastic to see. Agree. It was one yep. of my uh, – I can't see too many of the tournaments this year being a more exciting or interesting finish than what we saw at Royal Melbourne yesterday. So uh, good luck to you for being there. Clates, uh, good to have you on board. And Huggy, great to have you along as always. Enjoyed your input and uh, get on to Tiger Woods in terms of stop stealing your ideas, man. Will do. State of the Game is a talk and Golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.